You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here is your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good Wednesday morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 14th, episode 3204. This episode is brought to you today by Kevin Equine. Good morning, horse people. Ah, Wednesday, the day we cover Glenn's favorite topic. <laughs> Horse health. And Jamie makes you feel better about yourself with the latest weird news from around the world. Happy Wednesday. Well, we do have a fun show planned for you today, and I am even going to lead the horse health topic today. How I'm amazing shocked. is that? Uh, you said you wanted to take it. I was like, what? What are we talking about? We're going to talk about asthma in horses. And I actually have asthma in people. So I thought, well, this is a topic I can talk about. It's not going to gross you out. It's right. all about you. That's right. It's uh, asthma. How gross could that be? Uh, so you have a guest coming on too first. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. This is one of my favorite humans on the planet. Her name is Joanna Lowe's and she, she was Monty's um, assistant on the road for many years. Um, she even rode in the Spanish riding school. I think that we, we talked to her back then about that because it was incredible. Um, and she's going to come on because she competed in man versus horse. And if you know what that is, I mean, it's a man versus horse race in, in the UK. Okay, and it's pretty intense and and she uh does not want to come on and wants no part of this and i told her she had to and she was like no no i'll give you the winner and i was like no i don't want to talk to the winner i want to talk to you <laughs> and so she very is very disgruntled about having to do this but i i didn't care i wouldn't leave her alone i did I confirm her. with her this morning i actually did talk to her so i think she's coming on i think and she's welsh so the accent is divine <laughs> She's done a whole bunch of stuff. She's kind of a she's she fits into our daredevil category too. Oh yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. So uh, we got all of that coming up, and also some weird news is uh, coming up today. And you know what else? Start tomorrow. You and I fly out to California to see a bunch of our listeners. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited! Yeah, we're going to the movement again. If you don't have tickets, you're like. Getting down to the wire. Um, but yeah, the, the movement is taking place Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Flag is Up Farm. And Glenn and I are going to be there. Jared, can we play a Jared Rogerson song today? I'll See dig one out. Yeah, I'll dig one out. Find one of those. Um, find my favorite. We got to play my favorite. What is that? Uh, love, Peace, and Horses or something? Peace, Love, and Horses. I got it almost right. God, it's been a long Pretty. time. Pretty close. Yeah, we need to play. So, so just to remind everybody who is coming. And so Glenn and I are going to be hanging out. Glenn is going to have to watch a lot of horse stuff, which I'm <laughs> super excited. And This is going to be challenging. To, he already asked. He was like, is it okay if I sneak away? I'm sneak like, no, away. you're going to sit right there and you're going to watch me long line off the track thoroughbreds. And we're doing a lot of work with Mustangs. A lot of work with. I, I don't mind watching your stuff because I have. I don't get to see you do stuff too often, so it's fun for me to watch you do stuff. Well, it's you're so going to watch a guy who studied the Masterson method with Masterson, and then we're also going to do some see some working equitation. It's going to be awesome. Plus, you know, Monty and Debbie and Jared and me and all of our awesome listeners that I'm on a group chat with, and I'm super excited. Everybody's telling me where they're staying. We're all making plans. It's going to be so fun. Yay! Well, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. I don't even know the full list of everybody that's coming, so I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing you all. People have been fairly cagey about it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know there's quite a few coming, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hey, Yosemite had a tough year this year uh, with the snow. They had a huge snowpack. Wait, what did? Yosemite. And uh, so what they every year have to go through and clean up the trails and the hiking trails and get into the back country and do a lot of work. Well, every year they use their mules and horses to do that. They're pack horses. That's how they get back there. It's the only way they really can get back there. So uh, apparently the horses have been brought out from winter pasture. I don't know if they just throw them out there and let them 
do their thing. And then they bring the mules and horses back and start working them. But the Yosemite Conservancy is the one who handles the horses and makes sure that they're available for the rangers to go out and do their thing. And apparently they're back. That's how hard the winter was. They just got the horses back and they're just starting to get out to do stuff. So So my friend who kept horses in Wyoming, a bunch of ranch horses, they put them out and they they will throw out alfalfa round bales, and but they're like, okay. see you in the spring. So we pamper our horses to death, and they hurt themselves all the time. How are these horses not coming back dead? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. But I remember going out there, and there's one horse that I know he goes to winter camp, they call it. And every and he was like 27 the last time I saw him. And I'm like, how are you still alive? <laughs> <laughs> and fat. I don't know how they do it. I mean, Jennifer, we have this new barn, and Jennifer puts uh, Nigel out the first day to get put out with two other horses, and of course he comes back, uh, you know, banged up. (laughs) It's just, and these horses, they're out 50 of them at a time, and come back just fine. I don't get it. We pamper our horses too much, I think. Let's do some Daily Winnies. I'm like, there's a fly on my horse. Exactly. Well, I want to wish a happy birthday to the following auditors, Lisa Keeley, Melissa Wimmer, Stephanie Elizabeth, and Lindsay Pierce. Happy birthday to all of you. We hope you have a fantastic day. Lucas is doing something right now that just, I don't know why, it just reminds me of you. And I don't know if it's something that <laughs> you're going into. going to acting class? He's going to something different than acting because he went to acting camp last summer and he chose a different, was just a little local theater and they do these camps and he is currently enrolled in magic camp. What? Magic camp. So he's going to come back and make you disappear? Magic tricks, Glenn. <laughs> I don't know if he's Phil Dumpy or is he going to be the guy from Arrested Development? Joe or Gallagher. Like, I, or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, he's done a couple days of Magic Camp, and, oh, my God, he is like, this is the most fun thing I've ever done. And so, being that Chad is gone, guess who gets to sit and watch the magic tricks he learned in <laughs> camp all night? And then all the next morning. And for some reason, I got to believe they're not quite as good as when they were shown to him at Magic Camp. The timing's probably a little off. That would be me. Um, (laughs) But I've now assumed the role of assistant because he needed a little. So you're going to get cut in half? You're the one going to get cut in half in the box? He already told me how that trick was done, Glenn. He has. Don't say. I'm not going to say. You know what? You ask him if he does a trick. Say I do a trick to you. You ask me how. How's that done? Okay, so uh, so the Ta-da! woman. <laughs> you say how's it done? How's it done? Can you keep a secret? Uh, no. Then I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> can you keep a secret? Yes. So can I. That's what he says to me. Oh, he didn't I... tell you. No, I know. At first, he didn't. Well, I had to figure all of them out. I was like, okay, you need some help, baby. <laughs> Give me that. Give me those cards. Let's go. I'll shuffle them for you. You know, he's like, it's uh, he's having a lot of fun doing magic camp. And yeah, it's like, and, and what a I, cool idea, and though, for kids. What's frightening for Chad is like, this is the most excited he's been about anything he's ever done. And he, Chad's like, oh my God. Is my kid going to be a magician? Or a ventriloquist, even better. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yeah. So, I'll let you know how that goes. But so far, he's learned five tricks, which I've seen 7,642 times. (laughs) You know what's coming up uh, next week is Royal Ascot. We're giving we're giving the uh, British a lot of love on this episode. Royal Ascot's coming up next week, and of course, that is one of the oldest horse racing meets in the world. It was founded in 1711 by Queen Anne. Uh, so it's uh, of course it's the one that we see all the pictures of of all of the people super dressed up. Of course, the Queen went every year. I don't know if Charles is going this year or not, but there's always a bunch of royalty that go, and they have what's called the Royal Enclosure. And only, you know, royalty or relatives of royalty are allowed in there, the special people. And throughout the whole five-day meet, this – do you want to hear the clothing requirements to be in the royal enclosure? 
Now, I remember our friend of uh, Victoria Spicer, who used to come on, used to go and she would be in this and they looked like they were like heading to Parliament. So, yeah, explain yes. what people have to wear. So men are required to wear a full morning suit with waistcoat and either a black or gray top hat at all times. Only black shoes are allowed and... It- in an affront to the current vogue of bare ankles. Bare ankles are a thing with suits now. I, I don't get it, but uh, you have to wear socks. They make you wear socks, too. So Mandatory to get, socks. You get a full waistcoat with the bow tie, the whole thing. And you have to wear that with your top hat at all times. Now, two years ago, it was really, really hot. And it's apparently really hot there right now. Of course, what they think is hot and what I think is hot is two different things. But um, they let them take off their waistcoats, but they had to keep their hats on. So they couldn't take wow. their hats off. Now, the ladies must wear a Jackets hat. Jackets are waved! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> ladies must wear a hat with a minimum base of four inches, which eliminates fascinators. They were trying to get rid of fascinators. And dress- dresses with a modest cut. Trousers and jumpsuits are allowed, but again with a caveat. Trousers must be worn with a jacket or top in a matching fabric. So it has to be a suit. <laughs> so, so, like, can you wear denim jeans and a denim shirt? <laughs> I, I don't think you're getting away with denim. I don't think that's happening. So that's if you want to get in the royal enclosure. Now, apparently, there are different enclosures uh, all around the, the place, and all of them have their own dress codes and stuff. It's kind of like their Kentucky Derby for what they do. Now, it is it gets a lot of attendees, more than the Kentucky Derby does for these races over five days. So over the course of five days, they will serve th- or 300,000 attendees will consume 56,000 bottles of champagne. That's a lot of bottles of champagne. 44,000 bottles of wine. So that's 100,000 bottles of champagne and wine. 21,000 jugs of PIMS. 60,000 finger sandwiches and 80,000 cups of tea and 128,000 bottles of water. So basically, they're serving almost as much bottles of wine as they are bottles of water. I was just noticing like 80,000 cups of tea with 300,000 attendees. That's a lot of people drinking other things. Other things like <laughs> Pims and uh, wine and champagne. I did have Pims over in England. Oh my God, it's so good. I never had it. I, I had it at Ascot. I went to the track that they do Royal Ascot at with Victoria. And she, you have to have like, it's like a Pims and soda or something. Oh, hello. This that does was- sound like it would be fun to go to once, you know, to, just to see it. Now, they've had problems with the horses over the years with uh, horse deaths and things at these races. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes this year. They're under a lot of pressure, to, like like all of our racing is, to to, you know, make that a safer environment over there so we'll find out that's what's coming up and we're going to talk or we're going to hear from kem and equine here shortly and then we're going to talk to somebody who is in the uk and she's going to talk about a race she just did we've had no shortage of stress this past year and a lot of our attention has been focused on maintaining our health and immunity stress and illness can actually form a vicious cycle in humans and also in horses elevated cortisol levels caused by stressors like extreme weather disease diet changes travel and trailering can throw your horse's health and immune function out of whack but did you know you can help reduce the negative impacts of stress by feeding your horse chromium every day By lowering the levels of the stress hormone cortisol and optimizing overall energy use, feeding chromium results in improved body upkeep, health and immunity, performance, and overall well-being. To ensure you're supporting your horse, don't feed just any chromium. Feed your horse the only FDA-reviewed source of chromium propanate on the market today, Chemtrace Chromium from Chemin Equine. Ask for it by name and stress less. Learn more about Chemtrace Chromium at Kemen.com slash Chromium EQ. That's Kemen, K-E-M-I-N dot com slash Chromium EQ. It's time to bring on one of my favorite people in the world. That's right. She's across the world from me, but uh, it's probably best that we don't see each other every day. We'd cause a lot of trouble. Joanna Lowe's. Hello. Hey, Jamie, how's it going? Oh, my gosh. My friend in Wales, for those who ever see when I'm doing some training, I have a flag, a Welsh flag. And what do you guys call your Welsh flag? It's the Welsh flag. It's got the dragon on it. It's you the call best it Welsh flag in the world. The flappy dragon. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you see me doing that, Joanne had sent me the the flag all the way here because I couldn't use an American flag because I'd get in trouble. So um, thank you for that. And so 
she, you and I have been friends since I think we started at Monty's together in what, 2015? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And then you went on to bigger and better things and you were Monty's assistant. Yeah, for five years, I was on the road with him traveling around the world. Um, So I started off just doing his emails and admin and helping him keep up to date with his social media. And then it just grew from there. And I started uh, being the rider in various demonstrations and doing more and more of the hands-on work with the horses, even getting to go and help him train the Queen's horses, which was, oh my gosh, like the best experience in my life. Um, So yeah, it was a roller coaster ride for those few years. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, COVID happened and, and Monty's decided not to travel quite so much. But we wish you were coming to the movement this weekend. This weekend? No, I wish I could make it. But no, I'm I'm afraid I'm still in Wales, um, working hard, my little farm here now, um, training horses all day, every day. I wish I could have been over there to see you guys. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about, because uh, what you do is so interesting. So here in the United States, uh, and I I follow your page. It's on Facebook, Joanna Lowe's Horse Training. Mm -hmm. And definitely go check that out, because those of us here in America, our wild horses or most of the horses that I work with are off the track thoroughbreds. And then, you know, we've got Mustangs here. Well, you have a version of Mustang as well, and they're so cute. Tell us about all the little wild little gypsy type horses that you have. Okay. Well, they're not really, they're not technically wild in that they are owned by somebody, but they may have never been handled in their lives. Or if they have, maybe similarly to Mustangs, it would have been to get castrated or some sort of veterinary treatment to get a head collar on. So they can be just as wild as the Mustangs. Um, but no, they can grow up on the on the Welsh mountains around here. They often get rounded up and end up in sales where you can see them. You know, they're just terrified, shivering, trembling little animals. Um, so, yeah, I've ended up with a bit of a bad habit of collecting that, those occasionally. Um, I <laughs> do- like you and your thoroughbreds. Yeah, well, you don't collect them. You go find them. You love to go to the <laughs> auctions and buy all these horses. But I go specifically looking for the ones that look sad or, you know, really need a little helping hand in life. I love that. I love that mm-hmm. about you. Yeah. And so, but describe what they look like because they don't look like like scruffy Mustangs. These are th- like, I always think that if that horse was here in the U.S., I could sell it for so much money because... <laughs> They're like cobs, like gypsies. Okay, yeah. So we have traditional cobs here. Um, Some of the well-bred ones, you know, the beautiful ones with the long manes and the big big feathers, they can go for huge money. Um, But the ones that have been sort of indiscriminately bred, you know, just a loose stallion out on the moors um, where they've just got into the mares or something, these are the ones that often end up at the sales. So it's like two different classes of horses. You do get the beautiful gypsy cobs, and then you can also get the ones with arms that well put together you know they won't really make such good riding horses um and unfortunately they're the ones that we're overrun with and looking for a home for yeah they're super cute oh my gosh so your horse training you have taken whereas i do a lot of the off the track things of which i know you started a little bit you do a lot of these wild horses and uh and also a lot of problem horses talk about a little before we get to the man versus horse because i just think this is fascinating uh tell everybody kind of more what you do Okay, well, actually, it's not a huge amount of these wild horses. My speciality is starters. So backing youngsters, you know, what you're doing as well, a little bit, what we learned from Monty. So it's join up, first saddle, first rider. Um, I just love putting the first few steps of a horse's education in place. You know, the foundations, the first time of everything. Um, So that's my main work. And then, of course, I get a few sort of, uh, behavioral problems. So horses that might buck or rear for some reason, um, well, you know yourself, horses which don't load, ones which are overly spooky or that riders are having specific problems with. I'll take them in for ridden schooling. And then I also have my own ever-expanding team of horses. 
<laughs> which ranges from a little section A to a gypsy tinker pony, like you were mentioning, a, a little grey, um, two off-the-track racehorses right the way up to Motto, who is a, the 17-hand warm blood, who is like my jack-of-all-trades horse, does a little bit of everything. Um, and it's her that went to the uh, man, man v. horse race last weekend. Well, the Motto, telling a little bit about the backstory of her, because she is the one that you took to Man versus Horse. Um, she was a horse that a very well-known trainer was having. And again, I always say, Joanna, that if a horse comes to me for training, I'm usually its last hope. You know, like, and, mm-hmm. and I, I see a lot of the horses that you get like that. And that's kind of how Motto came to you, right? Yeah, so she had been bred by a very, very top, well-known show jumper who had big problems getting her near a mounting block Um, to the point where she couldn't go near it. She couldn't be mounted. Any sort of attempt to mount her, she would be bolting out of there. She'd need to be held down by two or three people and somebody else, you know, helping the rider get on her back. Um, And it was all quite a dangerous, high-stress affair. Um, um, And I think... Uh, it, she was. She would have been a five-year-old when I met her, um, and of course, I did a lot of work. You know, the things that Monty had taught me with the dually, just teaching her how to stand still and how to relax and how to just allow things to happen around her. So I could, you know, put a mounting block next to her and go up on it and give her a scratch on the withers. And by the time we could start accepting that, we could move on. Um, And luckily this gentleman saw me making some good progress with this horse. He wasn't particularly interested in her because she wasn't going to make the top grades. You know, she was a little bit too quirky. And when you've got 30, 40 top level horses on your yard, if you've got one that causes a problem, you're happy to get rid of it. So luckily, she became mine um i moved her down to wales with me and we haven't gone hugely into her show jumping career but she is she's a bit of a jack of all trades is motto um so she goes she does a huge amount of hacking um we've been hunting she does show jumping she's done well in dressage and eventing and last year she actually became the uk trek level two champion um, which is it's like a competition based on orienteering um, around the countryside and then obstacle courses for horses. When the hell do you have time to do all this? Good God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have any days off. The, the other thing, you talk about getting her to the mounting block. You can find a lot of uh, Joe and, and Motto kind of doing it. She is an expert. If you guys think I could teach horses come to the mounting block, you have like expert <laughs> level completed. I mean, this horse will come from 100 miles away and run to the mounting block sideways. It pre- it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But I th- before we get to the man versus horse. No, I don't want to talk about training anymore. I want to hear, hear about man versus horse. I know, but I just wanted to say that, you know, a big love goes to Monty Roberts changed your life and changed mine. And, I, you know, people always say, oh, my gosh, and this might happen to you, too. You should write a book. And I say, <laughs> there is a book. Oh I I just read it, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> you read the same book, and it's pretty amazing what, it, what a gift all of it is. Going into the oh, movement this weekend, it's just awesome. Yeah, well, like you're saying, with me being a bit of a – a speciality with horses at the mounting block. I mean, I agree with you. It's, it is a, it's a certain problem with horses that I totally love. But you know what? It's totally because of Monty that I can do those things. Uh, we were traveling around the world and we were seeing horses that wouldn't stand by a mounting block in South Africa, in Germany, in Poland and in Sweden. And we got to work with so many together that we we found a really great way of doing it. And what I've learned from him now, I've been able to put back into practice now at home. Yeah, no, you're doing a great job. Now, Man V Horse, tell us about it. Well, I did tell you I'm probably one of the worst people to interview about this because I heard about it. I rocked up and I did it. I don't really know all the facts and figures, but it was epic. Well, the bits I do know. So there's this little place in Wales called Clannerted Wells. And I think, gosh, it was... Uh, I can't remember the date, but sometime in 1980, there was a pub landlord. He overheard some guys talking about who would be the fastest over really mountainous or boggy or forest kind of terrain. Would it be a horse or would it be a man? 
Um, and so this landlord decided to put it to the test. Uh, he devised some sort of a race. And since 1980, it's just gotten bigger and bigger every year with more and more people coming. And I think it's one of the only races in the UK or in Europe where horses and people are almost directly pitted against each other. Although there are some changes to the race to make it you know, a little bit fairer. So the, the men, you know, the guys, the human runners do have a chance. So you just up and decided to enter this race with Motto. And uh, how did it go? I mean, what I liked is you were like, I can get you the winner. What I liked is you had a story that is real. And so tell everybody about your go. Well, I had no intentions of trying to win this race. I just heard about it. It's prestigious. It's a big thing. You know, there's over a thousand runners and over 60 horses all going through the town center. It is it's a huge wave of excitement just to be a part of it. So, yeah, I was in training. I've been in training for it since I'd say about January, really, we started. Um it's 23 miles. It's very mountainous. It is the best of the best of Welsh terrain. If you think of like New Zealand with some of the mountains and the steep uh, rocky parts and then some really deep, dense forests. And then in Wales as well, we've got the open moorland with sheep tracks um, going down through ravines and across uh, streams and rivers. It's, it's stunning. It's beautiful scenery. So, yeah, I have heard about it a few years ago. Um, uh, I'd known about it and just thought, well, this is the year I want to go. I want to go and take part. So, so how, yeah, did, my how did it go? Warm blood. I was getting her fits for quite a while. Um, and we decided because she has, uh, she's got quite delicate feet. And of course, a lot of horses, you either, they're either shod or they're wearing some sort of hoof boots to be able to get around this, this course. Um, so we had some pads in her front feet and extra nails put in. Um, but unfortunately for me, my race came to an end when she pulled a front shoe off. Um, I had the option. I could have continued on to the, through the race. There is a point where there are farriers waiting. But um, knowing what my horse was like and the fact that I would not be able to make her walk with all of these horses and runners and yeah, people coming With all of them me, flying by. <laughs> it's crazy, honestly. And various parts of the course, like all the public come and stand around and cheer and whoop as you go past so you know most of the horses their eyes are out on sticks and they're breathing like dragons <laughs> if they're going anyway so unfortunately i had to pull out of the race early i didn't get to complete it unfortunately but the good thing is i have a safe sound happy horse for you know for the rest of her life and i did and- i did hear this year is the only the fourth time that a man won yeah, yeah, it was incredible. The, I think the heat paid a huge part. It was the hottest day in Wales so far. Um, so that slowed the horses down a little bit, um, as does the vet check. So all obviously the runners can just keep running, but horses have to stop. Um, they have to do a vet check where they have to pass. They have to get their heart rates down to below 62 beats a minute. Um, and if you're unable to do that, you're out of the race. Um, mm. So that can hold riders up for 20, 30, sometimes even 40 minutes or cut them out completely. That okay, well, that's fair. not fair. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> no, right, that's what I thought. <laughs> the runners should have to go through a, a medical check. <laughs> yeah, it's like... go through some ground where somebody pulls off their trainer and throws it in a bush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds way more fair. Uh, well, you know what? Your horsemanship showed through because, like... I mean, how many people would be like, I can do it, but even like, you're, you know, your horse and you save her for another day. So well done you. And, um, it's just awesome to talk to you and, and I hope we get to run into each other again soon. Thank you so much for coming on. I know it was really painful and you didn't want to do it, but <laughs> well, let's give some, oh, before, it's amazing to talk to before you. she goes, let's give some love to the, to, to the to the two top winners though uh daniel conley came in now this is 23 miles came in in 20 uh two hours 24 minutes uh, mm-hmm. he was the runner so he's the one the first horse in was dns ronaldo ridden by kate atkinson do you know kate no but i spoke to her on the way around and I, she, I didn't before but i do now she was only 10 minutes behind the runner so i mean they were close yeah. it was close uh so but that was two hours and 34 minutes that's that's got a pretty good clip. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I'll come back next year and tell you all about completing it. All right, good. <laughs> hey, before I let you go, I have one more question. So, the language and the 
things in Wales are quite different than um, things here in the U.S. And there is a town, and you know what town I'm talking about because you told me about it, the longest name ever in a town, and it's in Wales. And I, it's <laughs> How do you say that? Will you please say it? <laughs> Oh, okay. And do you know, even in this town, they have a um, they have the sign uh, on the train station, uh, and it's about I don't know about twelve foot long. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. Say it. Can you say it? And do you know what? I just I just <laughs> I need to prepare myself because it's I'm in primary school. I learned this. It's it's something like it's Lan Fire Porthwyn Gorgeri Flandrus. Okay. okay, got it. Oh, that be is a... the name of the town in, in Wales. <laughs> we can repeat that <laughs> back, I no even, problem. I live in Wales, and even I don't think I'm saying it right. Lanfairpulgawani <laughs> Google. <laughs> can you imagine having to write that okay, every time you write out your address? The two L's. <laughs> two L's, the two what? L's next to each other. You have to sound like, a, like an angry swan. It's a hissing sound. Two L's. <laughs> <laughs> all right we gotta go thank you joanna for joining oh us we God. appreciate it amazing to catch up with you guys Speak to you soon. To you all soon. right bye love you mean bye. it bye this episode is also brought to you by stateline tech i was over on their website today and if you go over there right now they have fly sheets and cool coats uh and they have a ton of them of course it is fly sheet season and if you've gotten yours out from last year and has great big holes in it and uh, your horse has completely destroyed it they have three pages of products about uh, 90 different fly sheets you can choose from i remember when we first started selling fly sheets in the old days there was one you had one option and that was it and now you have multiple colors multiple styles you can get the neck sheets they have tough rider weather beta uh, saxon Kensington, Cool Coats, uh, just go, the list goes on and on and on of the sheets that are available now in multitude of colors and a multitude of sizes. Visit statelinetack.com today for your fly sheet needs for any size, horse or pony. Well, our next guest is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. Coming up, we have Dr. Woodrow, who is with, uh, at the University of Pennsylvania's New Bolton Center, and that's, of course, in Kennett Square. Know it very well, passed it 100 times when I lived down in <laughs> Lancaster County. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yep, so, Kenneth Square is the mushroom capital of the world. It is, it <laughs> and there's mushrooms. There's mushroom houses everywhere there. Um, yep, it was yep. never a problem getting rid of the horse manure in that area because they all wanted Definitely it. Definitely not. <laughs> yep. So tell me, Doctor Woodrow, I have asthma personally, and so I got to ask you. We're talking about asthma in horses. You know what? What? What is asthma in horses? It is. Is it the same kind of? Does it show the same way as it does in people? So it does have uh, uh, quite a few similarities in regards to that it's, it's a chronic lower airway condition. It can be variably, um, you know, in regards to how severe the signs are. There can be some horses that are just so show signs during exercise, and there are some horses that show signs like at rest. And so, you know, there's um, a lot of different types of asthma, but you know, the main thing that we like to focus on in veterinary medicine are those horses that kind of the big distinguishing factor between them are the horses, horses that show signs at rest, so they have increased respiratory rate and effort, and they look like they're having problems breathing, and then those other horses that show signs just during exercise, so they're kind of like those poor performance horses, they um, can cough frequently, but it is similar to humans. There's no cure. And so it's really about managing what we think the uh, lower airway immune cells are essentially reacting to. Well, so, well that leads you know, me to the question, what causes it? Yeah, so we don't know exactly. Um, if we knew the specific antigen that each horse was responding to, then we could have a cure or at least better manage it. But what we presume is that they're probably um, uh, reacting to molds, pollens, uh, endotoxins, things in the hay, just pollens in the environment. Um, so there's a, it's a lot of different things, multifactorial, and, and probably there is some genetic factor as well in, in certain horses. So 
it's a, a variable environment, which you can expect or um, think that we can really only manage in, uh, to a certain extent. You can't really put a horse in just a AC environment. So it can be hard for some areas of the country to manage it, for sure. Well, do you see it uh, in certain pockets of the country where you see it worse? Is it worse in the south? Is it, you know? Yeah, definitely in the, the southeast area can be really bad. Um, you know, it's hot all the time, humid, um, and there's always things blooming, right? They don't really get like a break. Um, from especially if they're reacting to molds and pollens in the environment. There's never like a winter time, right, where things don't bloom as much. Um, but it definitely can happen all over the country. So some horses react worse when they're like in a barn. So you can imagine in the north if they respond to um, like straw, which is a, a prime culprit, if they're in the barns during winter, winter and they're exposed to all of the straw, then they're worse during that time frame. And so those horses actually do better putting out in the pasture. But it can be opposite where some horses respond um, really badly to things out in the pasture, so they need to be in a barn. So it can, yeah, can be just difficult. How do you test it? How do you test for it? Yeah, so we use um, a lot of different things to kind of support our diagnosis of asthma. So first being, like, what is their history? Do they have history of chronic cough, poor performance, um, that increased respiratory rates and effort at rest? Um, And then we can do some other more objective evaluations. So we can, um, you know, do imaging of the chest to make sure it's not something infectious like pneumonia, do blood work as well and make sure we don't think it's infectious in nature. Um, And then there's some other tests that we do. It's called a bronchoalveolar lavage. Essentially, it's a fancy uh, term for saying we're getting a sample of the immune cells that are in the lower airway, and we look at it under a microscope, and we know what normal horses, what their immune cell population should be. And then in asthma horses, they kind of have a dysregulation of that population. And then in some areas, some referral hospitals can do lung function testing. That's a big, big thing in humans, which if you have asthma, you've probably been tested before. Yep, I have been, yep. (laughs) Yep, so spirometry and all that stuff. It's harder for us, right, because we can't tell them to be like, can you blow into the tube? Right, that's right. (laughs) You can't really tell the horse that. So, um, But there are some lung function testing capabilities, and there are some uh, institutions that are working on even uh, lung function testing that is easier and and a bit less invasive to invasive to be able to do on you know all the client horses client owned horses that we see. So well, now yeah. I use an inhaler every day, and I'm assuming that yep. we do we do that with the horses. Uh, we definitely do. So yeah, in that manner, there are inhaled um, options, and so. The two main kind of, I guess, mechanisms that we think of to try to control besides environmental management is um, decreasing inflammation. So that's primarily through corticosteroids. So you can have an inhaler um, or you can take oral um, corticosteroids. But you're, like you say, you're used to taking a, um, an inhaled, might be a corticosteroid. The other medication that we use that's similar to humans as well is a bronchodilator. So that kind of helps open up the airway diameters if you're having like a kind of an asthma attack, quote unquote, having some bronchoconstriction. And so we have both um, oral and inhaled uh, bronchodilators. So we prefer kind of the more targeted route, the inhaled. Um, but how do you get the so horse to do that, by the way? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so there are some um, nebulizers and different masks that you can put on a horse so that it essentially covers both of their nostrils and kind of makes this kind of closed airway situation where they can breathe things. How's that go over with some horses? But I'm sure that's, that's fun the first couple times with some horses. Yeah. Some of them don't really mind it at all because it's kind of like a halter, but it just has an extra, um, you know, plastic piece over their nose, but it's not, um, doesn't make them feel claustrophobic or anything because it's not over their whole head. And But there are other delivery devices from different companies that is essentially kind of like a little tube that gets put just in the uh, proximal aspect of the of the nose, so just right inside the nostril um, and can deliver medications that way too huh, okay. for inhaled. Yeah. So how do you determine, so there's different types of asthma. How do you determine what treatments are best for different types? Or that's kind of what you're studying, right? 
Yeah, and right now we don't have a lot of great options. I mean, if you look at human asthma, I don't know what type you have, but essentially the eosinophilic or allergic asthma, they have a lot more products um, that or at least options for treatment because we understand allergic asthma or eosinophilic asthma way more than we do the other types, non-allergic asthma. And so those are probably, those are all the commercials we see on TV, right? It's like block eosinophil, black block IgE, et cetera. Um, we don't have those options in horses really just due to the size of the animal and then the subsequent cost to using those things. Um, so, so those really aren't the, the options for us. Um, but so right now, really determining the type of asthma doesn't matter as much currently, but that's the hope is that we can someday have things that are more targeted to, um, you know, a specific type of asthma. So that's things that we're all kind of working on to try to understand the pathophysiology better and then what would be better treatment. Because right now pretty general. Yeah. So if your horse has a, you know, a mild to moderate case, but is not a, is not a competitive horse, he's an outside horse. He, you know, he's, he doesn't do a lot of physical activity, maybe some trail riding every once in a while. Is it something you should, that you even have to treat or is it mainly treated in the competitive horses? Yeah. So if it's, if if it is really mild to moderate and not severe signs at rest and really not limiting like their ability to do what you want them to do and their quality of life is good, right? Then it's more about the environmental modification, which even if you do medications, like you have to do the environmental modification to have the best um, essentially clinical effect or a response to what you're trying to do. Because, right, you can imagine if you keep breathing in pollens and mold, you're, it doesn't really matter how much medication you take. It's just always going to be there and you're just going to need more and more and more medication. It's just not going to do anything. So really those horses are like trying to optimize where they seem to do best. So are they better outside? Are they better in a stall? If they're in a stall, like making sure ventilation is good. Don't use straw as bedding. That's, that's a prime insider. Um, um, round By the way, as, as a the resident horse husband here, I hate straw bedding anyway because I don't want to yeah. clean it. So. <laughs> it's like, oh, and it's so dusty. It's so bad. So, yeah. And then round bales, I know it's easy for wintertime depending on where you live, but round bales are also notorious for, because, right, if, if you've seen a horse, they, like, stick their nose mm-hmm. right into the middle of the round bale, and they're inhaling all of that junk. And so really getting rid of round bales, straw, um, and then just working with your veterinarian to kind of try to optimize where your horse is doing the best. But there are the environmental modifications you should really think about doing in, in your horse, even if it's just mild to moderate sign, for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, so are you, look, are you doing active research there at New Bolton on this? Yeah. So, you know, what I've just been doing is there's a lot of, a lot of the clinical research comes down to banking a lot of samples and then, um, you know, asking those more uh, scientific questions after you get, uh, accumulate a lot of samples. Um, and so that's what it kind of doing currently is um, banking samples and then finding funding to be able to support uh, the specific, specific scientific questions. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Well, this has been very informative, and you know, I, I, I've been interested because I have asthma. So it was like, uh, you know, how how do is it the same in horses? You know, I, I never knew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, terrific. And by the way, moldy house. If I walk into a moldy house or moldy barn, I can only stay for like twenty seconds. I'm now I'm out. Yeah. I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, you know. I can't. I know yeah, immediately. Yep. And Jennifer won't. My wife won't even smell it, and I'll be like, "No, there's mold here. I gotta. I gotta leave." <laughs> it's, yeah. It's one well, right. You can tell someone that there's a problem. Horses can't tell us, so it's it's a, it's a lot harder for veterinarians. Do all this research at New Bold. If you can figure out a way to get horses to actually just freaking tell us. Just tell us. Just to talk, yeah. I mean, you guys are pioneers of medical intervention. Like, you should be able to figure this out. I'm asking you. (laughs) (laughs) Although sometimes it's nice that they can't talk, and right, you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) we don't want you to complain. (laughs) Thank you, Doctor Woodrow. We appreciate it. That was terrific. You were you're very good at explaining this that we can actually understand it. I love it. Oh, good, good. Uh, Well, thank you for inviting me. All right, thanks a bunch. I'm here with the mad scientist who developed Daily Dose Equine Horse Feeds. 
Janet Geyer. And I wanted to have a quick chat with you because Daily Dose Equine Horse Feed are non-GMO whole food nutrition based. And a lot of people go, oh, that comes from a small dedicated feed mill. I won't be able to get that when I travel. They're wrong, aren't they? They are. You can get it through Chewy anywhere in the United States. Or if you live locally in Maryland and Northern Virginia, you can get it delivered. There you go. Chewy.com. It will deliver it anywhere you want. You can also schedule delivery in advance so you can have it delivered every X number of days. And you can go in there to your account and change it every time you move horse show venues. So check it out today, dailydoseequine.com online or chewy.com. As horse owners, we spend a lot of time on the road. Let U.S. Rider help keep you covered. Our equestrian motor plan offers fast, reliable, nationwide service from our highly trained roadside assistance team. 24-7 coverage for both you and your horse. Membership includes horse trailer servicing, towing, flat tire repair, even on dual wheels, battery assistance, and lockout service on any vehicle in your plan. We also have your equine companions covered with referrals for emergency vet services, barrier referrals, and emergency stabling assistance. Get peace of mind on the road for you and your horse. Join U.S. Rider today. Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race. In Jamie's Weird News. That's right. Weird news still keeps happening all around the globe. And we're going to go all around the the world today. Um, Thanks to Laureen, Rosemary, Abby, Olivia, Debbie, Sarah, and Margaret. Some of y'all were slacking this week. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm used to a lot more stories. And uh, so I would like to thank you all because what happens is if you're looking through your news, whatever, and you see a story and you're like, God, that's really weird. That's what I want. Send it to me, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com with weird news in the subject line. Now, I can't read the dirty ones that you guys send me on the air, but just know that when you send them to me, I really appreciate them personally. <laughs> so we're going to start in California. We're going to go over to Los Angeles. We're going to be there. I'll so be I there thought tomorrow. Was- yeah. I thought it was appropriate to head to California. There's a California real estate agent. His name is John Reyes, and his father-in-law used to live in this house, but he moved out. And so John went to this house to clear out the home. Now, his father-in-law and mother-in-law have been living there for like a million years. So as you know, like older individuals tend to collect things and there was a lot of things. And he had been spending months cleaning out this house and they found a crawl space. So he was having some people like crawl in and they kept finding like pennies and like change all pennies on the ground in the crawl space. And they, I mean, it's like so small, but they could tell there was a lot of stuff in this crawl space. And so they're having to crawl in and they found bags of pennies and boxes of pennies and more bags and more boxes and more bags and more one over one million pennies were kept with a million pennies in this crawl space. And they're all from before because it used to be all pennies were copper. And then they changed it to like nickel or I can't remember what they changed. Something I forget. Zinc or something like that. Yeah. These are all copper pennies. One million copper pennies. They said that it was a daunting task to clean out the house anyway, because quote, they kept everything, but the crawl space was so tight that they had to get small family members to get on their knees to crawl through this. And they just kept pulling out bank bags with pennies, just pulling them out, pulling them out. So how do, what do you do with that? They were like, we'll go to a coin star machine. But then they're like, <laughs> yeah, no, eight percent, one million pennies. We don't have time for that. And by the way, that's in- ten thousand dollars for those that are trying to calculate that in their head. <laughs> yeah, one million pennies is ten thousand dollars. Now, here's the deal: these are old pennies, so yeah. some of these pennies might be worth. You know, there's pennies that are worth like a million dollars. So. They didn't want to pay the 8%. They live in Ontario. There's no way they could get them home. So they load up all the pennies in two trucks. It takes two trucks that they filled up and they drove to Wells Fargo. And Wells Fargo was like, no, 
No, we're not. We're not doing that. So then they They don't even like to take your change to the bank anymore. (laughs) I know. They transport the pennies to a bank that's closer to their house. And that bank said, no, 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 sorry. So now these $10,000 worth of pennies, which, by the way, there could be pennies in there worth like a million dollars because they're all really old. They put the whole thing on offer up for $25,000, more than the face value of the pennies, but there might be. They said, quote, we want to sell them. But what we know is that there's this craze on the Internet and people looking for a million dollar pennies. So we want to sell them to somebody who knows the value they could sell. It has the time to go through a million pennies. (laughs) Who's got time to go through a million pennies? Oh, my God. So anyway, if you are interested. Did did we learn how he got a million pennies? No. No. No, because I think it doesn't really say. Because you know, we all collect change, away. but I don't think any of us has collected a million of anything. And then to put them in bank bags in your crawl space, like maybe you a robbed million? a bank and accidentally took the pennies. How could you get a, <laughs> have a clean getaway with million pounds of pennies? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, That's imagine crazy how story. heavy that is. <laughs> yeah, it was just a weird news. That's why we do that. I got a ten thousand dollars here, but nobody will take it. I can't. I can't do anything with it. I can write you a check tomorrow, right now. <laughs> I can write you a check today. <laughs> so I love highlighting art. You know, there's a lot of art in the world. We've talked a little the pickle that's on the ceiling with the the hamburger that they change out every day, the banana that was eaten out of the exhibit. And uh, this one is we're going to go to Hong Kong because in Hong Kong, there's the uh, where it like, you know, the the not the the harbor in Hong Kong. Sorry, everything is in different kind of language in the story. So I'm having a hard time. But two giant inflatable ducks have been floating in Hong Kong's victorious Harbor. And they were just brought in a couple days ago, unveiled to the people. And this is like, you know, art and these giant inflatable ducks have been traveling all over the world. They're oh my the, god, by, they're huge! <laughs> yeah, by the Dutch artist, they're ginormous rubber ducks. I mean, take a ferry, and it's bigger than your average ferry. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, they're huge. However, uh, they were put in the harbor, and people came from all over Hong Kong and all over the that area of the world to see these ducks. And day two, one deflated. Oh no! They killed <laughs> so the duck. We, it's a duck. So there's a one huge duck and one mass of like puddle of like what looks like a deflated balloon sitting in the water. And they're saying that it was overstretched due to the hot weather and rising air oh, pressure. And so I'm looking at the poor thing. It looks sad. <laughs> What's hilarious is how upset People were. There's a lay, a resident in the area, Aneta Lay, who had visited Hong Kong specifically to see the ducks. Her quote was, I was left disappointed. Having two ducks is special. (laughs) One duck's not? (laughs) (laughs) No. These ducks have been on a world tour since 2007. Well, they're going to need a patch. (laughs) We're going to need y'all to fix that seam. Duct anyway, tape. I just thought that was funny. Weird news. It must be 10 stories tall. It's huge. It's huge. But there's only one now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. All right. So, you know, you go to the beach in Florida and when people will say, get out of the water, get out of the what usually is in the water, Glenn? Uh, usually it's an alligator or a shark. And in either yeah. case, you get out of the water. <laughs> yeah. So this is a twofold uh, weird news story because this is all caught on video. Okay. Get out of the water. Get out of the water. It's a bear. Oh. There's a video <laughs> of a black bear that comes running up out of the water, splashing up out of the water, and then runs. And Destin, okay, this is in Destin, that's and the, runs that's up in the panhandle, yeah, into the sand dunes. Yeah, it's in the panhandle near Panama City and all that. So anyway, nobody knows where it came from. What they're saying is that this this poor bear just 
swam onto shore from somewhere. They don't think he went out to the water and then frolicked and came back in. No, no. He just came in. Nobody's, I mean, you know how crowded those beaches are in Destin. Nobody saw this bear go in the water. They all just saw him come out. So that's weird news number one. Weird news number two is if you watch the video, what a bunch of freaking idiots surround this bear who's like panicked and coming out of the ocean. And they're like helping push him out of the water. Like, come on, <laughs> you can do it. And there's people just like, like, I was like, oh, he's on vacation too. I guess he was playing in the water. You know, all these people, a bunch of idiots. Y'all do know that's a bear, right? Like, that's a legit bear. And you're over there, like, crowding it with your cell phone camera. It's like those people that go to Yellowstone I, I and they're play like, with the buffalo. Oh, the yeah. buffalo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't believe you it. You have no common me. sense anymore. It's just no common, common sense. sense is gone. No. <laughs> and I think that, you know, I think so few people have interaction with real animals anymore. Of any yeah. kind, except a dog or a cat. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a bear. Yeah. I did see one. I was coming back from Walmart the other day, and one went right across, uh, right near Whoa. our neighborhood. They've been spotting him on ring cameras all around the edge of the neighborhood that I live in. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, he's a pretty big one, too. <laughs> he comes up to the back porch, and I get, get to see the ring camera f footage all the time. All right, last story. Going to go to Ecuador. Ecuador. Oh, going to walk long ways today. Quito, Ecuador. <sighs> Sad news. Let's see. Bella Montoya had a stroke and was taken to the hospital. Sadly, she passed. And uh, you know, so they they had a had a funeral for her actually they didn't have the funeral they, they 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 put you know put her in the coffin and all that and they take her and they're doing like a um one of those things where people you know come and pay their respect to the the the, the person who has passed and so there's the, the wake thank you um so there's they're having a wake and they've got the coffin up and and everybody's very sad and they hear something She was not dead. Oops. She was alive and she was put in a coffin and pronounced dead. They got a death certificate and everything. And this poor woman, 76 years old, is alive in a coffin. Like, what happened? Okay, so she was initially admitted on Friday to the hospital with a stroke, cardiopulmonary arrest. She did not respond to resuscitation and the doctor on duty declared her dead. Okay, so apparently she was unconscious when she was brought in. The family took her to a funeral home. They were holding the wake for her. And here's the quote. There are about 20 of us in there. And after about five hours of the wake, the coffin started to make sounds. My mom was in there wrapped in sheets, hitting the coffin. And when we approached the coffin, we could hear that she was breathing heavily. They popped open the coffin and she's in there alive. I'm sorry. It's my worst nightmare. Yeah, There's nothing be, worse than that. That'd be hard to get over. <laughs> you know what? I want to be cremated. Like I don't want to be put in a coffin, but now I'm not so well, sure. Well, thank God she hadn't been embalmed. I know. Or cremated. Know. Oh, dear God. You know what? I don't just leave me where I lie. Did she come? Was she dead and came back? Or did... so she was not. I mean, clearly not dead. She was. So now they're the doctor. I'm sorry, buddy. I was screaming help. And Lucas came running up oh, here. I'm Lucas. sorry, buddy. <laughs> just weird news, buddy. Happens all the time. I didn't think I didn't know anybody was in the house. Okay. <laughs> What happens when your mom does a podcast upstairs locked in a room? Um, so the doctor has been under investigation now. <laughs> and he, he, they're going through all of it. And um, no details have been released about the doctor who prematurely declared the woman dead. <laughs>
Well, thank you, everybody, for sending weird news. If you have weird news to send in, you can send it to jamie at horseradionetwork.com. You can get your really bad ads into jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Now, we won't have any really bad ads this Friday because we're going to be doing the entire episode recording it at Monty's Place. So we will have a brand new episode for you on Friday, but it will uh, it will be just whoever we can dig up that's there. So any of the auditors that are there and happen to be around on Friday morning, Jared's going to – Jared Rogerson will be there. Uh, so we will definitely um, uh, make sure that we get uh, as many of you as we can on the show on Friday morning. So we will have a okay. show, just no really bad ads. Can we play a little bit of Jared on the way out? How about this? Your Hang on, auditors. We will be back with Wildflowers in her hair She can go anywhere on that Palomino mare She's got Rocky Mountain ivory That she wears around her neck And the Grateful Dead Play song In her head Somewhere between Cowboy and hippie, she's all about peace 